What I want to talk about is time. And uh, my reflection from the season of Advent is, uh, was one of sort of getting ready, kind of preparing the sense of um, the coming of Christmas, the coming of the feast, the coming of the Lord, the return of the Lord. And so as I engaged the season of Advent, I found myself reflecting on the fact that, man, every year we're, we're, back, at, we're back at this season. We, we prepare every year. It seems to be there's a certain consistency and pattern here. And yet, every year we're, we're supposed to be closer. We're, we're drawing near. There's this sense of kind of cyclical idea of time, and yet there's a sense of progression of time. Um, and so this got me thinking a little bit about the nature of time. I won't, I won't get into that because that, that gets, that sort of did my head in for a little while. Um, what I would like to do is think a bit about time and eternity and how do we, how do we consider that? How do we engage um, one who is eternal? That's, that's really the, the question I found myself reflecting on. What does it mean for us to prepare for his coming? Um, what does it mean for him to come in the flesh? Uh, what does it mean for the eternal one to enter into time? I, uh, yeah, so this is going to be a little bit more philosophical um, and a bit more kind of meditative, which is why I assume my amplified voice will help you find a good rhythm here. And you know, if you fall asleep, that's just fine because you probably need it. And that's, that's, a good, that's a good thing. My experience of time is something of a, of a regular frustration. I don't know if you experience this. The, uh, the engineer in me um, sees time as a, as a problem that needs, to be, that needs to be fixed. It seems like everything is picking up in speed. Things are getting faster. Technology is sort of adding to our, our life, and there's a, there's a certain speed. And in my own life, I've seen that. Things, things have picked up. The pace of, of everything seems to be faster. And technology has this sort of siren call of promising to save time. The great, the great lie of technology is, I will help you save time. You will recover some time. You will regain some time. And my experience is that's just a great lie. It just doesn't work. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, that's not, maybe that's not your experience. You know, is time simply a measure of change? Is that, is that how we understand change? Is it, are we changing? Um, or is time something objective that we are part of? Uh, how, does, how does that work? I'm also a great reader of science fiction. Many of you, many of you know that. Um, I, uh, I find myself drawn to the, the classic science fiction plot artifact on time travel. Uh, that's just, that's just a, common, a common thing you find in, in science fiction. Whether it's you know, Dune's approach of folding space-time with a spice, with a drug that allows you to do that. Whether it's uh, Liu Tuxin who sort of talks about the death of time by universes and their weight sort of collapsing into one. Sorry, that's a bit of a plot burster for those of you who've read the Three Body Problem trilogy. Um, for those of you who are, you know, sort of maybe closer to Earth, Star Trek and the warp drive and the dealing with light and time and how do we, 
how do we travel faster than light? That's got to be possible. There's a, there's a time-bending kind of component there. Um, or whether it's the Tesseract in the, uh, in the comic, in the uh, DC comics, in the Marvel movies, or the Madeline Lengel, the Wrinkle in Time, um, the power of the mind in Ender, where at the end of the Ender series, you find him traveling across the universe by bending things with his mind. It's, it's, quite, it's quite interesting. It's mind-bending, yeah. yeah. So science fiction sort of presents this conundrum, and, and it's, never, it's never, never satisfied. It's never answered. It's never, it, always, it always circles back. There's this cyclical sense that you can't get away from. But then we perceive time, we perceive the elasticity of time in different ways, right? Some of us find that time doesn't move fast enough. We're, we're sort of stuck in time. There's not enough to do. Um, for some of us, time is, is always going too fast, and the struggle is to slow down and to sort of find the present. There's, a, there's probably a, a few that are sort of f have found the right sort of balance between too quickly and too slow. Who knows? Who knows? There's a new, there's a new malady these days of the, the fear of missing out. That's a time-bound problem of, okay, am I, am I connected enough? Is, is time, is, is FOMO getting sort of the better part of me and, and I'm just anxious because I'm not there and everywhere at the same time? Some find that time is something that we waste. Ecclesiastes leaves us with a kind of a grim view of time. Vanity of vanity. All is vanity. That's kind of the, the conclusion of how to use our time. You might, you might succeed, you might not do well, but in the end, yeah, it's all vanity. It all, it all vanishes. Um, for some, uh, time is a constant possibility, a constant opportunity, a challenge for something new, something fresh, something exciting. Um, and so there's, there's, this, there's this dynamic elasticity of our experience of time. The elderly tend to live in the past. The young tend to live in the future. There's a small, probably, set of people trying to just live in the present. Where are we, you know? Cultures shape our understanding of time. Um, the, uh, the, the classic story I love to hear is in our Belgian community, when uh, the Congolese would have weddings and they would invite their guests to come at a particular time. And the Belgians, very time conscious, would show up at that time. And the Congolese wedding would begin three, four hours later. Because, you know, three o'clock, it's like, yeah, you know, it's in the afternoon. Three o'clock. African time is very different from European time. Culture shapes how we view time. Augustine has some, some helpful things that he says about time. One of the things that I, I find very helpful is he says we all understand time instinctively, and yet when we start to ask the question, what is time, it becomes very difficult to define, very difficult to understand. I think he's on to something there. There's, there's something about that. Uh, in his commentary on Genesis and in the Confessions, he gives us a couple perspectives on time. He says, well, Time is a, is a creature, is part of creation. God has created time and therefore it, it exists in the realm of creation. Um, does time show up on the first day of creation? Does time show up on the fourth day of creation? Does time begin when man is made on the sixth day? I don't know, these are good, these are good questions. 
He also tells us that time is a phenomenon of the mind, of human consciousness. The past, the present, and the future are, are really experienced in our consciousness. He says there are three times, a present of things past, a present of things present, a present of things future. For these three exist in the mind, and I find them nowhere else. The present of things past is memory, the present of things present is sight, and the present of future, of things future, is expectation. Okay, maybe that's, maybe that's a helpful way to, to consider time. Lewis talks about the different dimensions of time, <coughs> quoting some of the, some of the um, uh, Greek philosophers and the, and the thinkers uh, throughout human history. He talks about us moving away from the Tower of Kronos uh, beyond the Tower of Kairos. Um, these are the Greek words that are used in the New Testament to talk about time. Kronos, the time of the body, the measuring of the clock, the uh, setting of our calendars. That's the Tower of Kronos. Uh, the Tower of Kairos is the time of the soul, when we measure things by things that have value and importance to us, the important moments uh, of our lives. He also proposes a third kind of time, the time of the angels, the time of creatures that are immaterial, that seem to engage with us and move on a different sort of scale and eternity. And then finally, he proposes a very interesting concept for the dead. He speaks about the time for the dead as time being thick and having a certain thickness. And that somehow, for the dead, there's still this progression, and yet there's a, there's a much broader experience of that progression. And so there's a certain thickness to how um, life is after death. He, he talks about this as um, maybe a way we, um, when people have near-death experiences and they, they see uh, loved ones, they, they see them both old and young at the same time. That's a common experience for people who have near death. Is they, they see, when they see the dead, that's, that's some of their experience. Maybe that's a way to look at time beyond death. Um, he has this line in the last battle, a little spoiler alert here for, for my house, we're, we're listening to the last battle currently. Um, he talks about uh, England as, as they enter through the door and into eternal life. He talks about the things of England that will continue to exist, but that a lot of England will cease to be. The good that is in our current time will endure as the good. There's something there of, okay, um, how, does that, how does that work and impact time? Okay, let's look at some scripture. Let's look at the Lord. I, I found that Reflecting on time sort of did my head in at a certain point. It's like, okay, let's, let's look at the one uh, who is, who was, and is to come. Uh, let's look at the Lord. In French, one of the common terms we hear of addressing the Lord is l'éternel, the eternal one. That's a common way. And I, I find there's something helpful of that, that term. Uh, God is eternal. God is eternity. Psalm 90 tells us that God exists without beginning and without end. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. 
before the mountains were brought forth or ever you formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. You return man to the dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. We see God's eternity contrasting with our, our transitory existence as humans. Psalm 102, my days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass, but you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. Human life is a dream. It's, it's like grass that passes away. But the Lord isn't. He is constant. Job 36. Behold, God is great, and we knew him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. Isaiah 41. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am He. God is the one who's at the beginning, at the end of all of human history. Jude speaks to Him as uh, our only God, our Savior, who through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. There's this sense of the Lord's eternity there. Let's look at how he created time. Let's look at his work. Creation is brought about as a set of days. Genesis 1 begins in the beginning. The word beginning tells us there's a start. Uh, it's a, it's a seven-day story of how creation comes to be. Time begins. Does it begin on the first day, the fourth day? Man is created on the sixth day. So there's this there's a, there's a long progression, it seems, before man comes on the scene. And God creates man in his image, male and female. But what does it mean for him and her to be made in God's image who is without beginning and without end? How do we reflect that? How does a creature bear God's image when God is eternal? And then you know the rest of the story. He gives all of creation to Adam and Eve, and he gives them this, this bit about the trees, right? This command about the trees of the knowledge of good and evil and the, the tree of life. Um, and tells him, gives him this command, and man disobeys and loses his way in time. Man turns on himself because he disobeys. And so... Part of the curse on man is, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. There's a sense of a cycle has now begun that doesn't seem to be part of the original cycle. But the good news is, as we know, God doesn't leave man in that cycle. He, he breaks in. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh. The one who is eternal entered into our life. He entered into our frame, into our tent. He tabernacled among us. He made a tent, a impermanent dwelling in our midst. He stayed with us for a while. He built his home in our midst. In the incarnation, brothers, time and eternity are brought together. The one who is changeless fully enters into our changeable frame. He is conceived, he is born, he lives, he suffers, he dies, and he endures. The incarnation changes everything for us. This is, this is the key question. Time is redeemed. God has entered into time. Eternity has broken in. God becomes man to show us how to live human life because of who he is. And we can learn the divine life because God has entered human life. In the incarnation, we no longer need to spin and toil. There is, there is purpose that's given to us. Our life is no longer meaningless under the sun. This man is eternal. He was prophesied by men. He was announced by angels. He lit up creation itself. He drew the wise from the nations. He's recognized by Simeon and Anna. The Savior has come. And then we know that his hour was to come. <coughs> he speaks of his hour throughout his life. The Gospel of John tells us, my hour is not yet. And then, my hour is come. What are we told? Behold the man. Behold the king of the Jews. Behold the empty tomb. Behold, he makes all things new. The Lord has come. Time is transformed because the Lord has entered. Eternity has entered time. And in Christ, time enters eternity. A quote here from a, a, a contemplative monk I've been reading over the last little while, Father Stinnison, a Swedish contemplative. The radical dualism between time and eternity, where eternity stands for what is stable, lasting, and total, and time stands for what is unstable, passing, and partial. This is conquered in Christian time. Eternity places its stamp on time. For Christians, the past stands as a source of thanksgiving and praise. Perhaps it's filled with sin, destruction, and such. But with the forgiveness that comes in Jesus Christ, past is redeemed. We can give thanks for our past. We can give thanks for our failure. Christ is a vehicle of grace for us. And our past can be saved. Our future is no longer something to be feared, something unknown and frightening, threatening. No, because in Christ, that future is safe. Nothing can separate us 
from the love of God in Christ. The future is something we aren't moving towards, but is something that comes to us as we are grounded in Jesus Christ, the one who has entered time from all eternity. We can now live in light of eternity because of Christ's work and his coming. This is comfort for those who are tired, who have been working hard, who are weary in, in their labors. Death is no longer something that holds sway on us. We no longer need to fear. Because of eternity, we can put on Christ and live in the light of eternity. As Romans 13 says, the night is far gone, therefore put on Christ. There is hope in suffering. Our afflictions are for a little while, but the eternal banquet is coming. We speak of time a lot in our covenant. I don't know if you uh, realize this, but this famous passage in Ephesians of us wanting to make the most of the time, it actually shows up five times in our covenant. Really? Yeah. I, uh, I, I don't know if it's the most quoted passage, but it's there. It's there in spades. And it, you know what it tells me is that we're aware of making the most of the time. This is an important thing for us. So how do we make the most of the time in light of eternity? What does that mean for us? A couple thoughts. And really, I am drawing to a close here. The end, the end is near here. <laughs> time is coming. Time is a gift, brothers. It's a gift for us to receive. It's a gift that I think we spend our whole lives struggling to receive and accept and entering into uh, the life and the silence that the Lord has for us. How can I be present to the Lord? How can I now be with the Lord and be with the Lord at all times? This is, this is the challenge, but I, I think we need to recognize that time is good. It's a good thing that's given to us. So that's, how, that's one of the ways I think we make the most of the time, as we recognize the, the gift nature of it. We make the most of the time as well by being purposeful, by knowing that Christ gives purpose to our time. We don't make up what our time is for. We don't come up with how to use our time. Christ gives us meaning and purpose for how we are to make the most of the time, to proclaim his love, to serve others, to follow him unto death. This is how we make the most of our time. We therefore make the most of our time by investing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. With him we can relate. He has become one of us, fully and completely. The eternal God is now present in time. And we meet the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer and in one another. We find him in one another. I had an experience last Sunday praying for a brother with another brother. A couple, couple of us praying for a brother. And in that prayer, I encountered the eternal one who knows all things and is present at every moment. When this other brother prayed out a whole set of things that are things that he and I, the brother who was being prayed with, 
had talked about several times and with some of the same expressions that he prayed with. I encountered the Eternal One present in prayer because he loves, because he loves to heal, because he loves to change, because he makes all things new in our lives. The Lord is present. What a joy to see that. What a joy to experience that, that the one who is eternal and full of love is here in our midst. We also make the most of the time, brothers, by letting go of the tyranny of the past, letting go of what's part of us that needs to be let go of. We carry burdens from where we have come from and what we have done. Um, perhaps our past has been great and glorious, um, but still there are things that need to grow out of it and change. And the Lord exhorts us to leave our past and to not look back, to look to Him to lead us forward into something ever new. And so I think we need to take hold of forgiveness. We make the most of the time by taking hold of forgiveness, of forgetting what lies behind, of allowing our memory to be healed, of allowing our relationships to be changed. The Lord is the only one who can forgive and set us free of our pasts. <coughs> we need to allow that to be taken up by Him. This is what the Eternal One can do for us. Brothers, as we struggle towards the future, I also think the Lord is there to lead us. I think as we experience our aging and our impatience and the losing of our glory and our faculties, and as we enter into deeper and deeper weakness, these are all momentary afflictions that the Lord will take us beyond. Death is no longer an end. He has purpose for us, even in our weakness. And our hope is anchored in the one who is eternal, who has become man. Brothers, in the words of Revelation, Christ stands at the door and knocks. He has a door into eternity for us to walk into and to not fret about the future. I don't think we can understand exactly what that door is and what it looks like, but it's there and he has it for us and it's open for us. Brothers, in prayer and in relationship with Jesus, I believe that even in this retreat, we can catch a glimpse of that door. We can walk through it. We can see that Christ is the door. Remember how he says that? I am the door of the sheep. I think there's an application to time for us here. And the Incarnation opens that door for us. This great feast, I think, is a reminder for us um, that the Lord is with us and leading us. So let's take hold of the words of Revelation, that he stands at the door and knocks, and that uh, in the final words of Revelation, he says, I am coming soon. And that is great hope and joy for us to live our life fully now. Amen. Amen. Yeah.